0: Well, good morning. Um, As Libby mentioned, we're going to be looking at what it means for us as a church to love each other more deeply. And uh, one of the things we're going to be doing over the next uh, six or seven weeks is beginning to share with you where we think God is leading us as a church over the next four or five years. Uh, We shared some of this with you at the AGM, And over the next seven or eight weeks, we're going to start to unpack our new strategy and what we sense God saying to us about what we should be doing and being uh, in the years to come. Over the last six months, a small group made up of Libby and Paul and myself, the clergy, a couple of vestry members and four church members, have been meeting together to talk and to pray and to think what God might be saying to us as a church and we've listened and we've prayed we've heard ideas that have come forward through things like our kingdom come prayer evenings uh, the week of prayer that we had uh, different emails that church members have sent in and then we've sort of discerned what we think God is saying to us shared that with the vestry they've agreed the general direction of travel And uh, as I say, over the next six or seven weeks, we want to expand on this strategy, hear what you think about it and pray more about it. And we're going to base all that we're saying and all that we're looking at through the lens of looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. So uh, if you want to grab a Bible, if you haven't got a Bible on your phone, or if you haven't got a, a phone with you, or if you want to go grab a Bible at the front of the balcony, or at the back on the ground floor, do go and grab one now, and we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, and um, verses uh, 3 to 11 that Agnes uh, read for us a few moments ago. And as folk are getting a Bible, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for all that you've done through and in the life of this church over so many years. And as we now start to think about the next chapter in our life together as a church, may we hear your voice speaking to us. May we be very clear about what you're saying. May it move our hearts, may it move our minds, may it move our bodies to be responsive to your voice so that your church might be built up, that your kingdom might be extended in this city and across this nation. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've looked and talked and prayed together, um, we, we want to base it on this word, there's a Gallic word um, called aru. Do you want to say that? Aru. Okay, that was what I want, aru. And uh, maybe it's the way it's said in the Gallic, because everyone's sort of depressed uh, up north. Um, but it's Aru, apparently. In the same way that Lukaku, who, who plays centre-forward for Man United, uh, football commentators call him Lukaku. That's not the way his name is pronounced. His actual name is pronounced Lukaku. And this is Aru. So, okay, one, two, three. Aru. Very good, we're getting there now. And what that means, that word means in Gaelic, it means to shift, it means to change, it means to transform. And that's our hope, our prayer, is that our lives might be transformed, our society may be shifted. We might see transformation and change, both in ourselves as individuals, together as a church, in our city, and also across our nation. Over the next four years, we believe that God is wanting us to pursue the same vision that we've had over the last four or five years. Our vision remains the same. That is of being a church that calls people to be whole life disciples, sharing the whole of the gospel with the whole of society through churches of grace. We want to be people who take seriously the claims of Jesus as to every single area of our lives. And we want to share who Jesus is with every strata of our society, every part of our city, every part of our nation where we can have an influence, and effect. And we want to do that through churches of grace. If you look through the history of the church in Scotland, it's ironic that for a nation who has amazing grace, almost as its sort of second or third national anthem, the church in Scotland has not always been characterised by grace. It's often been characterized by legalism, by law, by rules, by religion, by regulations, when actually the thing that's unique to us as Christians is the whole idea of God's grace, God's unconditional, undeserved love expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. So we want to be that sort of church. And likewise, our values remain the same. We've had these values for nearly 20 years now, and these values shape how and why we do things in the way that we do around P's and G's. And some of the key words are in our values. We want to be Christ centered, we want to be biblically based, we want to encourage prayer, we want to see that ministry is the responsibility of every single church member. Not in these four walls, but where you find yourselves. 95% 95% of the week. That's your ministry. That is your calling. We want people to feel valued and respected as individuals. We want people who are not yet Christians to realize that they matter to God. We want to serve God's world locally and globally. We want to be a place of creativity, fun, and laughter. And finally, to be a church that takes calculated risks to be innovative, radical, and creative. And as we've talked together, as we've discussed, as we've listened, as we've prayed, we sense God wanting us to focus on three particular areas, changing lives, transforming society, and deepening influence. Changing lives, transforming society, and deepening influence. And you're going to hear these words a lot over the next two months. You're going to hear these words a lot over the next few years because these will inform the activities that we do as a church. It will inform what we say yes to and it will inform what we say no to. It will shape the staff that we have. It will shape how we use our building, how we use our money, how we use our time. Changing lives, transforming society and deepening influence. Well, what does that mean? Changing lives. Well, imagine a church where disciples are grown and enabled to share Jesus in a confident and appropriate way. We would love in three, four, five years' time to be a church where individually and together we naturally and confidently in a relevant and appropriate way can naturally share what our faith means to us with the people around us. Not in a sort of pushy way, not in an aggressive way, but in a clear, in a confident, and in a relevant way. We're very mindful of that we live in a society where increasingly that is difficult to do. Where there are all sorts of pressures upon us not to share our faith. Where our society and our culture says that every opinion is is equally valid. And so for us to say actually we've found a better story is something that most people in our society and culture find difficult to hear. Imagine a church where our society is being transformed, where together with other churches we seek the welfare of the city, where we see society transformed, where the work of soul food and babies and toddlers and the counseling service is developed and built upon, where together with the pastoral care team that we're launching later this month, we establish what we're calling a wholeness center, where we can offer a whole range of services and activities of ways in which we can help, encourage, and support people in different ways at their point of need. Imagine, too, a church where our influence deepens, a church that supports and encourages its members to be salt and light wherever they find themselves, that's able to speak clearly to those in power in our city and nation and plant new congregations together with other churches that reach the 95% of the Scottish population that at the moment have no connection with any Christian church. That's the reality of the nation that you and I live in. If you talk to people who are experts in world mission, an unreached people's group, how they define that, we live in a nation that now falls into the category of an unreached people's group. Forget tribes thousands of miles away, Scotland is now an unreached people's group in terms of the world church, because only 5% of the Scottish population have any meaningful connection with any Christian church on a regular basis. 5% of the population. And the reality is that there has to be a different way of doing and being church if we're going to reach that 95%. Now, very quickly running through those three areas, changing lives, transforming society, and deepening influence, we're going to unpack that over the next two months. They're quite big, ambitions and quite big dreams and quite big plans. If you're going to, for example, plant three churches in the next five years, that's quite ambitious. But we're absolutely convinced this is what God is calling us to do, but we're also convinced that without one thing happening, then all it will be is talk, and all that will be is activity, and all it will be is stuff, albeit good stuff, but actually it won't count for a lot in terms of the kingdom of God without one thing. It's quite striking. If you've got a Bible, or if you've got a phone or an iPad, a tablet, turn to Philippians chapter 1 if you've got a Bible app. It's quite striking how the Apostle Paul begins his letter to this church in Philippi. The church in Philippi was perhaps Paul's favorite church. Uh, Polycarp, who was an early church bishop who was martyred for his faith, he wrote about the fact that Paul went around boasting about the Philippian church more than any other church. So all the other churches in places like Corinth and Ephesus and Thessalonica got absolutely sick to the back teeth with the Apostle Paul saying, "'Oh, if only you were like the Philippians.'" Oh, the Philippians are amazing. The Philippian church is fantastic. The Philippian church, they're just incredible. If only we're like the Philippians. And the rest of the early church mainly hated the Philippian church because Paul boasted about them so much because it was his favorite church. And it's noted uh, perhaps in this week of all weeks that Philippi was the first European church. This is the time when the gospel of Christ came for the first time into the continent of Europe. It happened about 12 years before this was written in AD 52. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16, where Paul and Silas go to this place, Philippi, and they go to what's called the place of prayer by the river. Uh, Presumably, there's a place of prayer because there's no synagogue. Uh, In those days, you required 10 Jewish men in order to begin a synagogue. There aren't perhaps enough Jewish men. There aren't the 10 required. And so there's a place of prayer on the Sabbath that's happening, and it's led by a, a wealthy Jewish businesswoman called Lydia. Paul and Silas get into conversation with Lydia. She recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah and becomes a Christ follower. Over the next few days, they're followed around by a slave girl who's who's demonized. She's uh, possessed by an evil spirit. In the end, she's delivered of the evil spirit. She, too, becomes a Christ follower. Because of that, there's a riot that takes place. Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. There's an earthquake. Read about it in the Acts of the Apostles. And eventually, the Philippian jailer, the guy who's in charge of the the jail in Philippi, he and his entire family, his entire household are baptized, and they too become followers of Jesus Christ. So right from the start of this first European church, you've got three groups represented. You've got Lydia... You've got a Greek slave girl, and you've got the Philippian jailer and his family. So you've got somebody who's Jewish, you've got a Greek slave, and you've got a Roman citizen. And you've got every strata of society. You've got the upper class, Lydia, you've got the artisan class, the jailer, and you've got the slaves represented by the Greek girl. Roman, Jewish, Greek upper-class artisan and slave, the whole of society being reached with the whole of the gospel with the message of God's grace. And that's how the church in Philippi began. And then Paul moves on, and they start to support Paul in the work that he does. And in fact, they were the only church that had given financially to support the apostle Paul. That's why he loved them. That's why he loved them, because they gave money to him. They were the only church that supported Paul financially through his ministry. He ends up in prison again and again and again. In fact, Paul spent 25% of his ministry in prison, behind bars. And he's writing this letter, possibly from Ephesus, most probably from Rome, just before he dies... And he writes to this church, and what's striking in chapter 1, that that passage that Agnes read for us a few moments ago, is what Paul prays for them, and how he prays for them. What we have in these opening verses are Paul's prayers for the church in Philippi. And the first thing that happens in verses 3 to 6 is he prays with thanks He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. So he prays with thanks, he prays with joy, and he prays confidently, he says. Being confident, verse 6, of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He prays confidently, not because of who he is, not because of who the Philippian church are, but he prays confidently because of who God is, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the coming of Christ Jesus." That word began, that he who began, is the Greek word anachomai. Literally, it means inauguration. It means decisive, planned, definitive, prepared, an act that happens. If you think about the inauguration of a U.S. president, it always takes place on the 20th of January. Why it takes place on the 20th of January? The early fathers in America laid that down. Great idea to have an outdoor ceremony in Washington in January. And after the inauguration, after the president is sworn in, that is it. The president has begun and everything goes swimmingly after a US president is inaugurated. But there's no doubt, whether there may be disputes as to how many people were there or not, but the inauguration is a carefully deliberate, planned event that takes place on the same time, the 20th of January, every four years. Paul says, God began a good work in you. God began, inaugurated a work in you and because deliberately carefully planning went into it God began a good work in you then Paul says I am confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion literally he will he will put the finishing touches to you so if you look at the person on your left and right now Go on, just risk a glance. God is putting the finishing touches on them. You may look at them and think, yeah, could you hurry up, God, and put some more finishing touches on them? Because they're probably looking at you and saying, could you also put the finishing touches on them a bit more? But he's saying, God is putting the finishing touches on you. And I'm confident of this because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Paul is confident because of who God is. God promised that he would build his church. And there's no doubt about the fact that God will build his church. Occasionally, um, having been here for a while, people will say, Dave, you've been in Scotland 22 years. When you arrived in Scotland, and since you have been in Scotland, the church has started to decline dramatically. They don't often make that link between the two, that since I came, the church in Scotland has started to decline. But that's the reality over the last 22 years. Over the last 22 years, all the grafts across all the mainline denominations have only been in one direction, apart from one graph. All the graphs show the church declining in membership across all the denominations. Roman Catholic, Church of Scotland, Scottish Episcopal, like us, Baptist, whatever. There's only one graph that's going the other direction. And that is the average age of church leaders. That's the only one that's going up. All the rest are going down. And people say, Dave, since you've been here 22 years, and since you've been here, the church has declined since you came. um, Are you confident? Are you hopeful about the future of the church in Scotland? And my reply is yes, because of this, that same confidence that Paul had, because Jesus said, I will build my church. It's not my job or Libby's job or Paul's job or the rest of the staff's job or the vestry's job to build this church. It's not our job to build the church. Our job actually is to make disciples. That's what Jesus calls us to do. He doesn't actually call us to make Christians anywhere in the New Testament. He calls us to make disciples. That's different. But Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the reality is, for the church in Scotland, God will build his church in Scotland. God is building his church in Scotland. The question is whether we'll be part of that or whether we won't. Some churches will die across Scotland. They will die. But what people are finding is that when people hear of a church that's contemporary and open and welcoming, people are intrigued. You may have seen on Reporting Scotland last week, there was a feature on City Church, Aberdeen. And Chuck and Taryn and the team there have an amazing vision to plant 20 churches over the next five or six years. They've already planted nine from Aberdeen but they've got a vision to plant churches into Stirling and to plant churches across the Dumfries and churches across the Highlands. And they were featured on Reporting Scotland. And since that feature on Reporting Scotland last week, they've had over 100 phone calls and emails and tweets and all sorts of interaction with people who don't go to church. And they've been struck by one thing. The overall reaction has been one of ignorance. The overall response has been, we didn't know that churches like this existed in Scotland. And if we knew that churches like this existed in Scotland, and someone invited us to the church like this in Scotland, we would go to see what it was like. So whether it's City Church in Aberdeen, whether it's P's and G's in Edinburgh, whether it's Central, whether it's Adelaide's in Glasgow, whether it's Rehope in Glasgow, there are churches across Scotland that are growing. Churches that are contemporary, churches that are welcoming, churches that want to make a connection between everyday life and faith. God will build his church in Scotland. The question is whether we'll get to be a part of that or not. Paul says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Secondly, verses 7 and 8, Paul thanks them for their partnership. He says, "It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart." And that word that's used for heart and affection, it's a, it's a very strong word. It's the word in the ancient world where people thought that the strongest of emotions dwelt. It refers to the sort of upper intestines and the heart and the lung and the liver. It's the source of deep emotion. And Paul says, I I, I, I long for you out of the very guts of who I am, because I love you so much, because you give me money, but I love you so much because of our partnership in the gospel. Now, the the Greek word uh, partnership is actually the word koinonia. Now, usually that's translated as fellowship. You've been around the church in the UK for the last 10, 20, 30 years or so, that word fellowship is can seem a bit soft. Uh, In the 80s, when I was growing up as a Christian, uh, we used to think that the word fellowship was quite sort of warm and fuzzy. It it, it meant sort of joining hands and holding hands with each other and singing kumbaya, or, or an absolutely dreadful modern worship song that we used to sing called, I love you with the love of the Lord. Anybody else remember? I love you with the love of the Lord. I love you with the love of the Lord. I can see in you something. I love you with the love of the Lord. And we used to, we used to stand, I mean, you think some of our modern worship songs, these were really bad uh, 20, 30 years ago. I, I mean, imagine now just turning to that person that you looked at a few moments ago and saying, just singing to them, I love you with the love of the Lord. I.e., I don't like you, uh, but I do love you with the love of the Lord, because he tells me I have to love you with the love. It's not, it's not my love, it's Jesus' love. That's what the word fellowship can mean. He doesn't mean that here. Paul is talking about something that's m- m- much more concrete and committed. It's financial, but it's much more practical. It involves hard work. It involves commitment. That's what the word koinonia really means. And Paul says, I thank you for your koinonia, for your partnership in the gospel, that we're so committed to each other that it actually has an effect as to how we live, as to how we think about each other, about how we relate to each other, about how we speak to and about one another. And Paul therefore prays for one thing, verses 9 to 11. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Of all the things that Paul could have prayed for for the church in Philippi, he prays for this one thing. He could have prayed for growth, He could have prayed for health. He's in Rome, perhaps, in prison. He knows that the emperor is about to start persecuting the church across the whole of the Roman Empire. He could have prayed for rescue. He could have prayed for protection. He doesn't pray for those things. He prays for one thing, that their love may abound more and more. And that as their love abounds more and more, therefore they will be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the love of Christ. Because when everything is said and done, when everything else is put to one side, we stand or fall by this one thing. If our love for God and our love for each other and our awareness of how much God loves us isn't deepening, then everything that we do as a church is actually a waste of time. Without that love for God and that love for each other and that love for people who are out with the church then we're just another club. We're just a group of people who gather in a building like any other group of people who gather in any other building across Edinburgh or across Scotland or indeed across the world. We're, according to Oscar, a Scottish charitable incorporated organization, a skio. But a church is much more than a skio. We're not just a charity We're not just a club. We're not just a society. We're a group of people who come together because fundamentally we believe that God loves people. That fundamentally we've experienced something of God's love in our lives. That's what we'll remember in a few minutes around this table, the bread and the wine. And unless we're deepening in our love and our experience of God's love in our lives unless we're recognizing that love in each other and expressing that love to one another, then we might do lots of stuff as a church, and it might be really good stuff, but actually, in terms of the kingdom of God, it'll be pretty meaningless. The apostle Paul himself to the Corinthians said, if I have not love, I may have all the spiritual gifts under the sun, But if I haven't got love, then the whole thing is pointless. I may be able to speak in tongues, sing in tongues, do whatever. Miracles. But if I have not love, then I am worth nothing. So this morning, it's a very simple question. What would it mean for us, for P's and G's, to become known? Not for the activities that we do, good though they are. Not for the size of that we are, although for a church in Scotland it's comparatively large. But what would it mean for us to be known for a place and a people who love each other? That when people come in from outside, they can almost tangibly feel love in this place. What would it mean for you in your workplace, your office, your hospital, your work, your school? Your college, your university, wherever you find yourself, the school gate, for people to look at you or to look at me and say, I might not believe the same things, I might not agree with what they believe, I might not understand what they believe, but you know, one thing is true about that lot they love. They love one another, and they love people who come into their sphere of influence. What would it mean for us to be known as a church that truly and deeply love one another? Who are increasingly going into further and further what the love of God means for us? Let me remind us from John chapter thirteen, where Jesus says, You should love one another. It should be the one thing as Christians that we're known for that we love one another. What would it mean for you and for me to really, truly, deeply love one another? Because everything else has to be measured by it. Our vision, our strategy, our activity, our worship, our work, it all comes down to this. Do we know how deeply we're loved? And are we able to express that love to other people? Listen to the words of Eugene Peterson who sadly died about six months ago now. He said this in one of his books, everything, absolutely everything takes place on sacred ground. God has something to say about every aspect of our lives, the way we feel and act in the privacy of our hearts and homes, the way we make our money and the way we spend it, the politics we embrace and the wars we fight. The catastrophes we endure, the people we hurt and the people we help. Nothing is hidden from the scrutiny of God. Nothing is exempt from the rule of God. That's what it means to be a whole life disciple, to see that Jesus has influence over every single aspect of our lives, the way that we think, The way that we speak, the way that we spend our money, the way that we earn our money, the way that we drive our cars, the way that we're parents, grandparents, the way that we look after our parents, all of that comes under the rule of Christ. What would it mean for us to be known as people who are radically and deeply conscious of God's love? and who are then able to share that love and to show that love with the world around. Because it's as we do that that lives are changed. Fundamentally, firstly, our lives. It's how, when we do that, that we see society transformed because we're being transformed. And that's how we see our influence being deepened because we're being deepened, because we know how deep, deeply we're loved, valued by Jesus himself. So that's our prayer for us as a church as we go forward. That as we talk about changing lives and society being transformed and deepening our influence, that it has to begin with us. Has to begin in here. Let's pray together.